Okay, well, welcome aboard. This week is Parsha's Baha Loischa. And in the Parsha of the week, we have a lot of um, unique moments. What are the unique moments that happen in the Parsha of the week? Well, one of them, like you have right at the beginning of the Parsha, is the um, commandments about the menorah. And I recommend and advise that those with access to a to that um, to that uh, recommended chumash, or if you can pull up the email that I sent you, I just imagine that they have some good meaty comments about the um, putting up the menorah. So I advise that you take a look over there. I personally haven't reviewed it myself, but um, but we'll get there one day. Okay. As an aside, I think we should do a tour of my library one day. So I'm just looking at these books and thinking, I wish I could share them all with you. Okay, but that is that all the way on the side, that's a digression because I'm looking at them. Um, uh, let's go, let's go. Um, but how do I do this without doing a slideshow? How nice to you guys, nevertheless. You need you need the, uh, the Torah reading up? No, no, I, I have mm -hmm. like a, I, I prepare every week a slideshow that gets, um, that's, you know, with, every, with the pieces of content that we're going to read and everybody reads them and we talk about them. I'll give the class without it. If you email so, it, if you email it to one of us, that person can share the screen. I know. I know. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm sitting here. No, I I'm know. Else without a computer. This oh, is oh you I can't can. email. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I can. I can. I'm ambidextrous. I can do computer <laughs> okay. and email and uh, do a Zoom, but it's just a... Okay, we'll do this anyway. Let's go like this. So um, we all, as individuals, as people, we have struggles. We often will lock ourselves up into a box, a box that is usually man-made that we usually put up around ourselves. Sometimes other people put them around us and you always have these stories about people that something happened to them while they were a child and further on in their lives, if they take it with them and they're like, I can't do anything anymore because so-and-so did X to me. And of course, I'm not talking about abuse, physical or sexual abuse is not part of this conversation. I'm talking about, you know, like uh, things, like, like some minor things that we do to ourselves sometimes. That the other options, that's a whole different space. And I can't, uh, I can't comment on that. But when it comes to, uh, but here's like a story. For example, when I was a kid, there was another kid in my class who um, the teacher would always call him out and ask him to go get the milk uh, from the main office to bring it to the staff lounge. And, um, and so she would come marching into any class where, where we were and she'd say, hey, Yanko, the milk boy, I need you to go get me milk. And so, um, and so this kid grew up always feeling like humiliated for doing errands. And later on, he, he shared with me that now he's married and he doesn't want to do errands for anyone. He doesn't want to help around the house because he doesn't want to be that milk boy that he once was. He wants to be who he could possibly, the greatest person, not this, like, you know, the loser in the class who's got to be the milk guy. Okay, so that's one story. And another story in a similar episode is, um, is there was, there's a kid who in school, was a redhead but um and so the the his friends called him carrot top 
Are you familiar with the insult carrot top? Until my wife told me about it, I didn't know anything about it. Okay. Well, I never That's thought of it as an insult as much as it was a nickname. Okay. I now I know who was a redhead as a kid, huh? Not me. Nope. Not you. Yeah, I, I wasn't a redhead either. I mean, I, I don't know what's what color my hair is anymore. But <laughs> anyway, so the, the this this young this this fellow is now in his late 60s and he comes into his therapist lounge and he tells the therapist he's, he feels disabled, he can't do anything. Why? Because he's the carrot top, he's the redhead. He, how how can he? And so the therapist does, stands him up and takes him over to the show, the, the mirror, and he says, Look at yourself, mate. Charles, look yourself in the mirror. You're gray. So you see, we put up all these walls around us. And then it's like, Are these really my problems? Are, is this really something I have to deal with? Okay. So, um, our, our Parsha discusses a moment in Jewish history. What happens unique in our Parsha? Uh, the Jewish people are in the desert and they're about to celebrate their second Passover ever. And, um, and so Moses, God commands to Moses and then Moses passes on the instructions. And I have the, I have the verses here um, and I'll read them to you. In, in the English, it says, um, uh, so Moses command, uh, Moses passes on the instruction for the people that they should make the second Passover and then follow all the regular rules. And then, um, so then there were, this is in Numbers chapter nine, verses six to 12. So you can take a look at your leisure. There were men who were ritually unclean because of contact with a dead person and therefore could not make the Passover sacrifice on that day. So they approached Moses and Aaron on that day those men said to him, we are ritually unclean because of contact with a dead person, but why should we be excluded so as not to bring the offering of the Lord in its appointed time with all the children of Israel? Moses said to them, wait, and I will hear what the Lord instructs concerning you. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying, any person who becomes unclean from contact with the dead or is in a distant or is on a distant journey, whether among you or in the future generations, he shall make a Passover sacrifice for the Lord in the second month. In the second month, on the 14th day, in the afternoon, they shall make it. They shall eat it with unleavened cakes and bitter herbs. They shall not leave over anything from it until the next morning. They shall not break any of its bones. They shall make it in accordance with all the statutes connected with the Passover sacrifice. And that is Numbers 9, verses 6 to 12. So what, what we discover in these verses of the Chumash is this conversation that the Jewish people have with Moses. And they're saying, well, look, you're giving this commandment, handing out an opportunity to participate in the Passover, in the Passover sacrifice, but we are not able to participate the way everybody else gets to. And we feel excluded. We feel that is unfair. And we want an opportunity to play. What does Moses say? Moses says, I don't know what to do. I don't know. God never told me anything about this. And so Moses goes back to Hashem and they have a conference, at which point Hashem tells him, give them a second chance, give them the second Passover, what is traditionally called Pesach Sheni. Sheni, you're familiar with, it means the second, and Pesach is the name of the holiday. Now, 
everyone is probably wondering how did these people become tame? How did they become ritually impure? If you're not wondering that question, raise your hand. Anyone not wondering the, the question? Okay, Brian doesn't wonder, probably because he knows. All right. So everybody else will find out the answer. Juan also knows. Okay, good. We have a lot of scholars over here with us. I'll tell you anyway. Okay. So the Gemara, Gemara in Sukkah, the, the book on Sukkah, um, page 25a, shares with us why they were Tommy and they couldn't participate. Three reasons. Reason number one is perhaps they were busy with the bones of Joseph. If you recall, Joseph was the leader of the, the people in Egypt, and they were going to bury him in Egypt. And, and Joseph says, please don't leave my bones here. Take me up to the Holy Land. And so Moses, on the last day in the land, goes and finds his tomb, and they schlep it up, and they take it with them everywhere. And in fact, the Talmud tells us, I think it's in Tractate Sota, the Talmud tells us that um, wherever the, the Aron HaKodesh, wherever the, the Ark went, the holiest part of the Holy of Holies went, that is where the bones of Joseph went as well. Okay, so that's option number one. Option number two is there were these two fellows called Mishael and El Tzapon, and they were charged by Moses with the responsibility to take out the two sons of Aaron who died while offering a foreign frankincense in the, in the Mishkan at the, its inauguration. Does anyone remember that story? Yes. Okay, good. Okay. And then reason possible, possible reason number three for why the Jewish people, might, some Jews may have been Tomei, is because someone died and nobody else could take care of them. And so these guys took care of them. And this guy must have died somewhere nearby and he couldn't wait the eight days, the seven days that it takes to become pure. And so therefore, um, therefore they, I lost my place, nevertheless. And so therefore they can't participate in the second Pesach, of course, that's it. Just a bit of thinking and it all comes back. So now I want to ask you guys a question. What is it about a, a corpse that brings on Uma? What about a dead body brings on impurity to the person who engages with it? And that's a question that I'd be honored to have your participation in. And so let's see who would like to volunteer and answer. Actually, I'm gonna call you out. Brian, what's your recommendation? Oh, I'm guessing because it's devoid of a soul and there's no such thing as a vacuum. So there's an evil spirit in it or something like that, or it's lost the spark and something else is there. I don't know. Okay, awesome. Anyone else want to give us a guess? Now I can't call anyone else out. Who else can, who else wants to say something? Okay. You guys people out. It's, it's, it's an empty, the, the body is now an empty, an empty vessel. It had life. Now it doesn't. Um, it's, it's similar to, seems like it's, it's similar to the reason why after a, a woman gives birth, she is Tame, her, her womb, which had life, now is empty. Uh, so there's a kind of commonality about things that had life and now don't convey imp impurity. Awesome. Love it. 
Love it. Okay, so thank you guys for participating with these suggestions. Um, and I'm, I'm going to go with what you've said. The absence of life creates a, va a vacuum, an empty space, which has to be filled. And what's it filled with? It's filled with the opposite of what used to be there. So now I want to ask you these, I want to ask you this question, but this time you don't get the answer. I would like you to think about what in your life makes you a tame mace, tame to a dead thing. In what areas of your life are you engaging with absolute emptiness and do you need to get out of it? That's the big question of the day. So if you have a, um, if, you, if there's something in your heart and in your mind, then please think about that. But then again, since I'm not a priest, don't make any confessions and don't tell me um, what's, what's the emptiness. Now, in Jewish scholarship, everything gets discussed. However, this second Pesach doesn't really get discussed much at all. In fact, the first time that I can find that the topic of the second Pesach is discussed is by the previous Rebbe of Chabad. Uh -oh. Hold on, I'm going to change the settings so we don't get any more calls coming in. How do we do this? This one. Okay, excuse me. So, um, can you guys still hear me? Hear me? Yes, okay. So, now I can't. Now I can hear. Okay, with Hashem. So, and the first guy, that, the first person to talk about this topic of the second Pesach in all of Jewish history turns out to be the second Rebbe of Chabad. And he, he twists it with a Hasidic perspective. And this is what he says. He says, and I'm reading to you the translation. Actually, oh, you know what? I'm going to read you the Yiddish. If you remember Yiddish from your hometown, now is a good time to practice it. Pesach Sheni in Yonoi is, the theme of second Passover is, Es is nito kein farfalim, men ken alem bol farichten. It is always, it's never too late. It is always possible to rectify. Even if one was ritually impure or far away, and even if this lacquering was deliberate. Nevertheless, he can correct it. And the, so the Rebbe is teaching us a lesson over here when it comes to the second Passover, and as such, it, by extension, pretty much anything in life, it's never too late. You know, if imagine a man or a woman or a child, someone obligated in this commandment would come to the Temple Mount on the 14th day of Nisan, the day before Pesach, and he comes to the Temple Mount and he says, I'm not participating in the Paschal sacrifice. Imagine this guy. You think this guy is crazy. Why would he not participate? But regardless of him not even deliberately not having participated, he is able to come back a month later and participate with the sacrifice on round two. And it's a phenomenal lesson in this very 
um, these very sentences in the Torah that we can learn once and for all for all of us. Now, perhaps you're thinking, well, this is like a, you know, this is a global issue. This is a big, this is a big thing for everybody. If a person misses, if a group of people mix out, miss out, maybe only that, maybe only when it's a big group of people, then they can do it. Because that's what the original story was. It was a bunch of people that had all been involved in engagement. Look at verse 13. What does it say there? I don't have the Chumash in front of me. Here we go. Uh Actually, it says that if I just this is the translation I've got here. If if a, if a man is pure and on the road, and he was not, and and he ref, he was not refrained from making the Pesach offering. In other words, if those two conditions, being on the road and being impure, don't apply, it says that that man will be cut off. Karate. Look at this. Did you just call me out? Just I'm not calling you. I'm not calling you out. I'm just I'm just <laughs> noticing what verse 13 says it seems to say yeah you get a second chance if you're contaminated from a corpse or on the road and unable to 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 do the uh, the initial pesach offering but if, not if you're standing outside but, the temple sorry right? but not if you're standing outside the temple right exactly that's yeah yeah i accept that yeah that's probably the uh, the trans the, the correct position to take and we'd have to check with the the Rambam to see what actually is the halacha, but oh, uh -huh. that I mean, and and of course, most likely the halacha will be exactly as the verse says. Um, however, what the way we're going to extend it here is that when, perhaps when it comes to the sacrifice, you can't. I mean, for sure, when it comes to the sacrifice, you can't redo it. But when it comes to life, even if you missed. If you're on the borderline and they told you no, go try a second time. And, and let's let's talk about that. Let's take a look over here. What happens in our story? In our story, the Jewish people as individuals come to Moses and they say, Moses, not fair. We want to be included. And, um, and Moses says, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how to deal with this. So he says, you know, I'm going to go to, I'm going to, go to Hashem. I'm going to go to the big boss. And he goes and has a conversation and he comes back and Hashem says, give them a second round. Give them a second chance. What we notice here is, uh, and I think this is the focus point, is that as soon as they noticed, as soon as the Jewish people noticed that they were out of the picture, they went to Moshe Rabbeinu, they went to Moses, they asked for an option and it's granted to them. What lesson can you take from this? How often in life do we get told that we're not going to be included? And how often in life do we get told that the deal is not for us, that we can't have this job, that we can't have this position? And yet, how often, if we take that second step of responding and asking for a second chance of responding and saying, what if I provide this service? What if I do X? What if I do Y? How then, often time, often place, you get what you want. And, um, you know, a great example in fundraising school, they tell us, no, when a person says no, it doesn't mean no, never. It means no, not yet. And it's the same thing in sales. A guy tells you he doesn't need your vacuum cleaner. 
You just need to create the need. And then he's like all over the vacuum cleaner. It's that notion of saying, no, not yet, instead of no, never. So now with all of this, I think it's important to find an example of someone who made the most of this loophole, of this opportunity, of this method of connection, someone in Jewish history. And so I bring to you the story of Alicia ben Avuya. Does anyone here know the name Alicia ben Avuya? I don't see any nods. No one else is nodding. Okay, Alicia ben Avuya. So you should know Alicia ben Avuya from two places. The first place you should know about him is from, a, from the Gemara Yerushalmi. Anyone here ever learned Meseches, the Talmud Yerushalmi? Okay, so in Talmud Yerushalmi, Chagiga 9b, and I actually went, went and I opened up a book and I found it inside. It's definitely there. But um, it says over there a story about this fellow. What's the story? Rabbi Meir was sitting, expounding in the study hall in Tiberias. His master, Elisha, passed by riding on a horse on Shabbat. Uh, do you already notice what's wrong? It is, it is a biblical prohibition. I'm pretty sure it's biblical to ride a horse on Shabbat. Nevertheless, they came and said to Rabbi Meir, your master is outside. He stopped his teaching and went out to him. Elisha asked him, what were you expounding today? Now, Elisha, the former rabbi, is publicly desecrating Shabbat riding on his horse, while his student, Rabbi Meir, is walking alongside him. Rabbi Meir is repeating his sermon, and Elisha ben Avuya is correcting him. That was a, a contextual comment, until finally it came time to part, and here I return to the text of the Talmud. It says, Elisha said to him, enough, Meir, until here is the Shabbat boundary. On Shabbat, this is a comment, on Shabbat you can't go 2,000 um, amois. Now, I don't know what the actual um, length is in the American uh, measurements, uh, but you can't go 2,000 amois out of the town limits. Now, like in a place like Atlanta where I live, it's difficult to hit 2,000 amois because, um, you know, because you'll be walking for three, four hours before you get out of the city limits to hit the 2,000 amois but until there's no houses left. But if you live in, um, in LEJ or Blue Ridge or in Morganton, so then, or, or perhaps even on the outskirts of Dublin or Milledgeville, you could walk 2,000 amas, which is probably two kilometers, not very far, one and a half miles, maybe. Anyway, you can walk that distance and it's quite accessible, but definitely in the olden days, that was really easy. So what happens, Rabbi Alicia says to him, enough mayor until here is the Shabbat boundary. Rabbi Mayor says to him, how do you know? And so Alicia responds, I have been counting the steps of my horse, and he has walked 2,000 cubits. So now you guys have to like think about who this Alicia ben Avuya is. First of all, first of all, um, his student deems it worthwhile to walk alongside him in public and, and talk in talk over his class. Then the teacher is able to maintain um, intellectual control of the situation and, and totally understand all of the lessons that he's being taught. And add on to that, he's also able to keep track 
of the footsteps of the trots, if that's the right word, of the horse. It's like, this is like a, this is a, a brain that I haven't met yet. So Rabbi Meir responds to him, you are obviously so wise, why don't you repent? And Elisha reveals to him why he doesn't return to Judaism. What happened? Rabbi Meir says to him, you have all this wisdom, I'm, I'm, I'm reading the Gemara now, and you will not repent. Elisha responded, I am not able to. Rabbi Meir asked why. He, re he replied, because one time I rode past the Holy of Holies on my horse on Yom Kippur that fell on Shabbat. Now you following this again? He's riding his horse on Yom Kippur, on Shabbos. It's Yom Kippur falls on Shabbos that year. And where is he riding? On the Temple Mount outside the Holy of Holies. Just go figure what kind of fellow we're talking about. And he says, I heard a heavenly voice coming out of the Holy of Holies. So now, now you're really getting a download on this dude. And it says, return children, except Elisha ben Avuya, who knew my power and rebelled against me. So Elisha ben Avuya says, how can I do teshuva? How can I repent when even Hashem is saying, anyone can do teshuva except for me? What should he do now, right? So what happens next? So now, so now um, Rabbi Mary says, so why did you, um, like, why did you drop out altogether? Like what happened that caused you to drop out? And so he tells a story, and this is also born in the Gemara. Um, he said, he tells a story that, he, he was watching two people. He was watching this happen day after day. One day he sees a guy climb up a tree and up the tree he goes and he's on a mission to, to, send, away, to send away the mother bird and take the chicks for himself. So the first guy goes up and instead of following the Torah commandment to send away the mother bird, he takes both the mother bird with the chicks and he brings them down and he conquers them all. And he, he comes down and he lives a happy, happy life forever after. The next day, uh, Elisha ben Avuya is watching and somebody else goes up another tree and finds a mother bird. And he sends away the mother bird and he takes the chicks and he comes down the tree. And as soon as he gets to the bottom of the tree, Elisha sees how this man is bitten by a snake and he immediately passes away. What's the problem? The problem is that on this verse in the Chumash, the, the verse says, Shaleach teshalach etzaim ve'esabonim tikach loch, l'man yitav loch v'arachta yomim, which means you shall send away the mother and the children you take for yourself in order that it be good for you and that you lengthen your days. The Torah has promised to the individual who will send away the mother and keep the children, the Torah has promised that he will live a good life, a long life, happy days, etc. And here, Elisha ben Avuya is watching and he sees how the guy comes down the tree and he gets bitten by a snake and dies. And this was too much for him. And he said he can't handle it. And he immediately um, decides that he's not participating in, in Judaism anymore. What Elisha ben Avuya didn't know, the Talmud tells us that Elisha ben Avuya didn't know, and I, you guys are probably asking the same question he is, at least I hope you are. Elisha ben Avuya didn't realize that there is a Mishnah, um, there is a Gemara in Chulin, in another chapter, in another tractate, which says 
that you shall live longer days, that means in the world to come. And the manita of Lachet should be good for you means also in the world to come. So here you have the two promises of good, of, of good days, of goodness, and of long life. Both of these things are promises for the next lifetime, for the next, uh, for the next world, and not for tomorrow. The Talmud continues to tell us the story, and the Talmud continues to tell us that one day um, he became very ill, this Elisha, and so his students came, his, you know, his, his, uh, the students of Rabbi Meir came to Rabbi Meir, and they said, Rabbi Meir, your teacher is unwell, he's about to go, why don't you go and visit him? And he says, oh, he's not sick, he's not healthy, I'll go and visit him. Rabbi Meir gets up, and he goes over to Elisha's house, and he sits over there, and he come and you know he uh, he spends some time with with the unwell teacher of his, and then he says, um, "Will you do teshuva?" And she says, um, "Elisha says, like if I do teshuva, it's not going to be accepted. I've done everything wrong. Why would why would Hashem accept my repentance at this point, right before I die?" So Rabbi Meir said, he uses a verse in Tehillim. He says, "Toshev." which means a person should repent all the way until they are lifeless. At the point that a person is lifeless, they can't do Teshuvah anymore. But if it's before you're passing, go for it. Make the most of an opportunity. And when Alicia heard this, he started to cry. He started to cry with remorse and regretfulness until finally, from his tears, he passed away. And after this event, Rabbi Meir commented to himself, he was happy and he said, it seems like his crying and his remorse has been accepted. Okay, so here we have, in the Gemara that I just shared with you, we have this episode which clearly tells us about a person that did all he could to, um, to repent, you know, at the last moment. But there is a commentary that has a question on the whole episode. The commentary says, we all know, did you know that there is a tongue, there is a comment from the sages which says that if you are a guest in somebody's house, you have to do whatever they tell you to do, aside from one instruction. If the host tells you, get out, you don't have to listen. You might want to listen, but you don't have to listen. So when, so uh, this commentary says, he should have known, this Alicia Ben Abuya should have known that at this point, it's not, even though the, the voice from heaven has come out and said, everyone, um, everyone should do Teshuvah aside from Elisha ben Avuya because he has gone too far, he should have known, he should have realized that he, can, he only need do everything else that the homeowner, God, in, instructs him. But if God says, get out of here, you, you can't do Teshuvah, that he doesn't have to listen to. And Elisha ben Abuya at that point could have said, I will not be, um, I will not be cheated out of my teshuva by this voice from heaven. He could have immediately, um, you know, turned on his heels 
and change his path. So now, I'd like to I'd like to come back to where we to where I I left you with a rhetorical question. Now we all have our empty spots. We all have our dead spots, which are imparting to us a feeling of inability, a feeling of inhibition, a feeling of impurity. And sometimes we think these, this is my definition. This is who I am. This tells everybody about me. But with this teaching, we learn about Teshuvah and we learn about having another chance at life. If we can take the lesson from this, that there's always another opportunity to change our path. There's always another opportunity to change what we've chosen to do. Yes, people will look at us. Yes, people will ask, why do you behave the way you do? But what is to stop me from changing my path, whatever it is, and you know, your path, may, you can think of path as like a, a lifelong trajectory, but you can also think about your path as a day-to-day -day experience. Perhaps your path today needs to be rectified. I'm not talking about your entire lifestyle, but today, you know, um, perhaps you got into a fight, God forbid, with your spouse this morning. How do you react? It could be seven hours have passed and you're still not on talking terms, right? Do we choose to maintain the status quo or do we say, I don't like it this way? My heart, my soul, my mind tells me that it needs to be different. I will do whatever it takes to have a better right now. And that is the lesson that we can learn from the Jews of the Pesach Sheni. They said to Moses, we don't like this exclusive Pesach that we can't participate in. We want an opportunity. We want a fair opportunity. And they go to Moses and they say, give us a chance. And Moses says, God has given you a chance. Go for it. In a month from now, bring your sacrifice. I think, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about the victim mentality nowadays in our, in our 2021 woke lifestyle. And the big question is, what is my responsibility towards the victim? Do I need to be finding the victim and schlepping him out of his victimness? Is that my moral responsibility? Or perhaps the victim needs to realize that generally speaking, he's not much of a victim. It's all self-imposed. Often, often, there's always exclusions. And I'm not talking about the exclusions. I'm talking about the general rule. It's self-imposed. You can just get rid of it, get out of it. Decide today that your today and tomorrow and your forever will be different. And that is the lesson of this Pesach Sheni, of the second Pesach. Apply and work hard for a better tomorrow. And with that, I bless all of us that we all find the moments in our life and the moments in our day, the moments in our experiences, which are empty, the moments where we are Tamei, and let us have the strength and the morale to overcome and to supersede and to win, to control and to be the best that we can be. Shabbat Shalom. And now I open the stage for questions, comments, solutions, answers, and debate. Go for it.
Um, I have a question uh, with what Robert brought up earlier with that verse 13 um, in chapter nine. Um, I thought that the reason that person couldn't celebrate the second Passover was because it wasn't that they were unable to participate in the first Passover the way the other people were. It was that they just didn't do it. And, you know, um, they had the ability to do it and they chose not to, you know, it's like, well, maybe, I don't know, I kind of had the sense that they just didn't feel like doing it at that time or something or, um, you know, so how- So that's what it says in verse, verse 13. That's exactly the point that he brings out over there. And, um, you know, in the, in the discussion on that verse, people wonder how far away do you have to be? You know, it says, Derek a distant journey. How far away do you have to be? And the commentaries wonder, is it, you know, if you're in Jerusalem, but you're, you know, on the outskirts of the city, is that far enough? Or if you're in the next city, are you far enough to be allowed to get in? And as I said before, I don't actually know what the halachi is, what the law is. We'd have to look in a rambam, um, which I haven't done in preparation for this class. But it's still the, the, um, it's still an important point that you're making that the you could be in a distant place you could, could it be, be that place. you're simply spiritually too far away brian i missed you can you say it again could it be that you're just simply spiritually too far away you can't connect with shem you know what i i i am i i am i'm proud to say i i, I insist on saying this i'm saying this with the full strength of what it is in in judaism no one is ever too far away you know there is um that like for example how many people how many the say like this there's only there's few divisions in judaism one of the only divisions to exist in judaism ever is that of a kohen a levi and a israel a kohen is able to do the service with his hands a levi does the music and the the singing and the Israel doesn't participate um, in person in the service in the temple. Other than that, nobody is excluded. You know, the, the Kohen who wants to do the service, he has to go through training. But let's say a guy was not religious, and then at, you know, at, at 25 or 30 years old, he decides he wants to participate. He's a Kohen, he wants to participate in the service. He just goes through training, and he does it. I don't think there's anything in Judaism that a person cannot participate in because he doesn't have the spiritual connection. In fact, someone once came, went past the Rebbe at, um, at one of the public gatherings, and he said that he's involved in bringing close those who are distant. If you're familiar, there is a movement called the Kirov movement, and it means the bringing close movement. And so the Rebbe responded to him and says, how can you bring someone close to who he is. He's already close. He's the son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a daughter of Rachel, Rebecca, Leah, and I miss someone, Sarah. How can you bring them closer to their heritage? They are already the perfect collection, <clears throat> the perfect state of being. You can't get any better than that. And that's, um, and that's, that's that. Brian, is that a good response? 
Oh, you left. I scared Brian away. Oh my gosh. He's he's now distant. No, no, God forbid. I know. I have a, a, you. You made an interesting reference in the Talmud near the beginning about the three possible reasons the Talmud gives for the reason that the person is Tame, um, uh, Joseph's bones, or, or attending to the corpses of the of Aaron's sons, or maybe coming coming upon someone uh, in a field who needed needed to be attended to. In each of those cases, the individual is performed a mitzvah. And because of having performed that mitzvah, is unable to to make the Pesach sacrifice, and so what Pesach Sheni is saying is that if you're, or at least one way to look at it is if 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 you're prevented from fulfilling the mitzvah of the, the Pesach sacrifice because you were performing another mitzvah, then you get another chance at it. You get the this uh, the, the thing a month later. Okay, Reb Shmuel, it's a strong argument. You, you say that very begrudgingly. <laughs> I, do, I do. My initial reaction is to say yeah. that you're limiting the inclusion of everybody else. Now, why would you want to do that? I, I'm, I, I'm not. I'm concerned that maybe the the Chumash is doing that. I mean that that you know. <laughs> so, uh, so my my response argument to what I said is. Yeah. What do you mean? It it says in the book. These are the examples. But when you look at the Chumash, it doesn't say it has to be a mitzvah. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, it, it says that this guy was Tomei. How do you get rid of Tomei, of Tumas Mace, of being impure to a dead corpse? How do you get rid of it? The solution is you got to do the Pura Aduma Spritz, mm -hmm. the red heifer experience. Mm -hmm. Now, what if, like, what if you're on the Hebra Kadisha, you're on the, the burial society? of your town, and you live in Milledgeville of all places, right? And you can't travel to the holy temple to get purified. What do you do now? You well, can that, person, that person would qualify for Pesach Sheni. For, for, for their yes, he definitely would. Yeah. Right? And especially if this guy has a, has a travel arrangement of um, not being able to turn up more than eight days in advance of the holiday. Right, right, right. What are you going to do? So what do we tell them to do? Next month, you make your arrangements a bit better. Right? And, and But how else can you become Tommy? I mean, like, you can become Tommy maybe in other ways. If you can't, uh, if by accident you encountered, you know, uh, it happens often. Um, I'm trying to think of, trying to think of, a, make up a story for you, but how, how on, uh, unimaginable is it that a guy attends, uh, God forbid, his, his relative's funeral the day before Pesach? Is it a mitzvah to be there? Not necessarily. Definitely no, not. You, you, you're, you're right. You, no, you're, you're right. It's just that the, the, the Talmud that you quoted, the, the Gemara that you quoted, said, here are the three reasons why this person may be Tameh. It sort of suggested that these are the, right? So that there's that extra, that extra layer that, that the Talmud put on it to make, to make uh, it seem so, as if a mitzvah is needed. So I'll caveat in only one way, and I'll say that perhaps this guy, like, um, you know, the, the best example is the one of, of carrying Joseph. Is that a mitzvah? It's not a biblical commandment to carry Joseph's bones. It, he asked that he not be left behind. 
if the Jews would have left them behind, would they have? Uh, would there be lightning from from sky striking them down? No, Zeus is still parked in Greece somewhere. It wouldn't. There's no trouble, right? It's they did. These people were involved in some moral activity of transporting the bones, like they were asked to. But they didn't have a responsibility to do it. They did it. They did it. Does that at all settle your uh, your? Uh... It, 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 it's a good point. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to read it. It's a good point. Okay. And they're, they're attending to the dead. I don't know. It's hard to know whether they were they were performing a mitzvah or not by carrying Joseph's bones. They're attending to a you know a, the dead. Uh, whether that is the same, whether you get the same mitzvah credit for doing that as say if you're doing chevra kadisha, I, I I don't know. Right. Yeah. Rabbi Shmuel, have you yet bought my recommended chumash? No. Okay, so log on to Chabad.org and find that find the parsha of um, it's the last parsha of Bereshis. It's in Parshas by Yechi. Yes. And when you log on over there and you'll read the um, Hasidic commentary, um, and I think it's the introduction to the parsha, but it might be the comments on a later section of the parsha. We'll discover some really nice insights on um, on bringing Joseph's bones oh. up the land of Egypt. Oh, okay, fine. Thank you. You're welcome. You. Good for something. Okay. <laughs> Comments and questions. Tomatoes. No, no tomatoes. So, I, I do have one. Um, Brian. I don't know how this would work. But let's assume, God forbid, a woman was raped. She yes. would fall under, she would be unclean out of her own volition, you know, and then she couldn't perform the the sacrifice then either, or be, couldn't even be part of, couldn't even eat of it. So um, she'd, she'd not choose to, she wouldn't be fulfilling the mitzvah, so she would still fall under that uh, Pesach Gatan or whatever it is, Pesach Shani. Okay, so the, there's a, the, um, it's a good question. There is an assumption being made. The assumption is that a raped woman is Tomei to not be able to participate in the sacrifice. And I think that that assumption may not be correct. Yes, she's impure, um, uh, like, uh, like, any, uh, like any couple who engage in marital relations become impure. And for that, um, for that in biblical times, Meaning in the temple, when we engage with with pure and impure things much more regularly, the um they both would have to go into a mikvah. Um, but the solution for this impurity is an uh, is dipping in the mikvah during the day, and then by night, as soon as night arrives, you are already pure. So it's not like that is not a red heifer needing experience the only thing in um in uh, the laws of impurity which require engaging with the red heifer spritz is contact with a dead corpse so um so that should answer should solve the problem this lady as unfortunate as her circumstance is and it is she needs to go to the mikvah and file a police report Right, but I, I'm saying if time didn't allow for that, it's like you know, it's the eve of Pesach, and I wonder you eat the sacrifice after nightfall. I'm pretty sure, which means anyway, she could be part of the group and then go to mikvah and then come out, and 
and the thing. And the same thing, by the way, is with a nida, with a uh, with a woman in her menstruation menstruational cycle. What does she do? Um, and I don't know the the answer offhand, although we could probably check it in the book. Um, I don't know. We'd have to look inside and find out. If I was at the computer with with two screens open, I would look on Google for information on the Safaria, but right now I cannot. Okay. Any more questions before we respect the clock and say good Shabbos? No more questions? Alan, you haven't said anything today. Yeah. <laughs> Now you know why, because you were on mute the whole time. That's that's that's, that's the trick. That's why. Okay. All right. Well, I wish everybody a good Shabbos and.